0: long ago, I think about two months ago or so, two and a half months ago, so we're not going to preach the same message to you, and uh, then uh, about a, about 12 months ago or so, uh, we had a survey on the book of Psalms, and just kind of gave a high-level overview, but um, Psalm 1 is, um, it's known as, well, Psalms itself as a book is known as the Psalm of Psalms. Uh, it's one of the poetic books of the Old Testament, and you need to keep in mind that uh, they are written as, as things that were to be sung. They were written as songs, um, and with that in mind, there are oftentimes that the languages that are used, the, the expressions that are used, uh, are used sometimes metaphorically or symbolically, and they're, they're made to be sung in a song to bring greater light or meaning to some things. We... We believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, provided that it is uh, within its context to be uh, translated or interpreted literally, uh, but there are some times where God uses um, some symbolism, some some very colorful speech to bring about um, a, a particular point, and sometimes in the Psalms that happens. We'll try to be careful to point those out to you as often as we can, but... Um, I was doing a lot of study on this, getting notes prepared a few months ago and getting some things ready to do a study. And uh, one of the great sources that I enjoyed uh, very much in studying the Psalms and getting some notes ready uh, is the Treasury of David. It's written by Charles Spurgeon, uh, or, or there are things that are given by Charles Spurgeon. And if you've never had an opportunity to read through uh, the Treasury of David or to even read times of him, um they're rich. They're very, very rich. You need to keep in mind that everything that's written by a man uh, is written by men. It's not inspired. Uh, so there may be some things that he says that you may disagree with in Scripture and may not be what you believe the Scripture is teaching, and that's fine. Uh, but I would say that it is a tremendous source uh, to read and to get a lot of um, just a real blessing uh, out of the Psalms. He brings to, to, think, to light some things um, that oftentimes we don't think about when we start reading a psalm. And um, he, um, he wrote this, and I, I, I loved in the preface of, of the Treasury of David, he wrote this. I'm going to read just uh, a two-sentence, I think it is, uh, statement that he made in his preface that I think is a great uh, challenge and charge uh, for all of us as Christians as we come to God's Word, whether it be the Psalms or any other portion of Scripture. And he made this statement. He says that I have nothing better of my own to offer upon this peerless book is to me the matter of deepest regret. In other words, he says, I I haven't succeeded in excelling at this. He says, I wish I could do better than what I've done. He says uh, that I have anything whatsoever uh, to present is subject for devout gratitude to the Lord of grace. I have done my best, but conscious of many defects. I hardly wish I could have done far better. And can I say this, that when it comes to understanding scripture and perhaps even teaching it or sharing it with someone else it ought to always be our humble attitude that boy I, I I'll do my best but I am not adequate to the task and the truth of the matter is I was talking with a preacher a number of uh, a number of about two or three years ago now probably about four years ago now and uh, he was he was wanting to, to go into ministry and had been under the mentorship of another uh, well-seasoned pastor for a few years and kind of had learned some things and, and been taught some things about pastoring and preaching and uh, he felt like the Lord was ready for him to go pastor and uh, he went to his mentor and, and said brother I, I just gotta go I, God's really just burning my heart it's on fire for him I want to get out here and just really feel like it's time for me to go pastor and the, the older fellow taught him, told him said brother you're not ready yet And I talked with him later on, the younger fellow, and I said, you know, brother, the truth is, if you ever feel like you're ready, then you're not. Because the truth is, there's not a single one of us that ever ought to have the idea that we are adequate to the task of taking the infallible, perfect Word of God and doing justice to it by speaking on it. Because the words that we have to say are not inspired. They're not infallible. And our understanding of the Word of God at this side of heaven uh, may not always be uh, what it should be. Uh, there are some flaws in it and it is tainted by our sinful nature. And I think this is what Spurgeon was trying to say, that even though I've done my best, there's room for more to have been done. And his wish was that he could have done better. And so I'm gonna I'm going to... Try to echo that, if you will, as we study the Psalms. Because the truth of the matter is, anytime we teach anything from the Bible, whether it be the Psalms or any, anything that we've taught, the truth of the matter is, we only do the very best that we can do with God's help. And there is certainly room for more to be done, more understanding, more study, uh, more, more enlightenment of the truth to our hearts. And so I don't want us to come across as um, as we study the Psalms as it being an exhaustive study. Uh, because the truth is, we're going to do the best that we can. And, and this inexhaustible book uh, will still have more to give even after we're done. And so I want to encourage you, don't, don't just take a study uh, that we do in Sunday school and say, boy, we, we've gotten all we could out of that chapter or out of that, that uh, passage because there's always something more to do. The Psalms has been called uh, the Christian's Guide. It's been called the Psalm of Psalms. And uh, John Trapp, who was a minister in 1660, said this. He said, The psalmist saith more to the point about true happiness in this short psalm, speaking of Psalm 1, than of any other philosopher. All of them put together did not speak of this. They did but beat the bush. God hath here put uh, the bird into our hand. And the idea of the, the, the joy that the psalmist, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, pens about the blessed man, the godly man. So uh, we're going to look at this Psalm 1. Let's read together all six verses, and uh, we'll read down through it, and then um, uh, we'll jump into some of the, the lessons from it. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man... That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Uh, This is a preface psalm, and a lot of folks that that write about the psalms will make this comparison. They'll say that Psalm 1 specifically is kind of a, a an outline for the rest of the book. You'll find in Psalm 1 uh, the foundation, the preface of what all the other psalms are going to deal with. And so it's very key that Psalm 1 uh, be there as kind of our foundation. It's broken into two parts, basically. You have the first three verses that are dealing with um, the, uh, blessed, uh, the blessedness of uh, the godly man and the, the benefits that happen there. And then the last three verses are dealing... Uh, with the ungodly, and you'll see a contrast that is given here. The purpose of this psalm is to teach uh, the way to blessedness and to warn of the destruction, the sure destruction of sinners. And uh, it's, it's kind of a preface to the whole rest of the psalms. You'll find that all of the other psalms will deal with those two topics one way or the other, uh, all the way through. So it kind of lays the groundwork, if you will, for the rest of the psalms. Um in the first three verses, David uh, is going to set out a few things. Under the, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he writes these things. But he starts off with the word blessed, and I want to just stop there for a minute. Uh, anytime you find blessed in the Scriptures or uh, that something is going to uh, allow you to have the blessings of God on your life, it ought to be something of note to us. It ought to be something that we look to uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus began to preach on the Sermon on the Mount, He begins the sermon with "blessed," And again, just to get the, the, the hearer to sit up and to take notice here. And uh, it's interesting that this word blessed is actually in the plural form. Uh, and, it, and so it's kind of giving this idea. I'm afraid that sometimes when we uh, read this chapter, we'll we'll look at it and say, Okay, uh, I'll get some blessings from God, or I may get a blessing from God. Um "...if I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the sea of the scornful, but delight in the law of the Lord." And, but the truth is, the idea of this plural form of the word blessed is the fact that it is not a life that is marked with a blessing or even a couple of blessings, but it is a life that is a blessed life, that the ongoing blessings of God throughout that life uh, is given to this person. Um, and so it speaks here of not just a blessing, a particular blessing or even specific blessings so much as it is a life that is characterized by having the blessings of God upon it. And uh, so there's three things that uh, are told in the negative about this blessed man. And this blessed man is going to also be referred to or is going to be compared to uh, or contrast to, excuse me, the ungodly. So we could say easily that the blessed man um, is a godly man because the alternative of it is to be ungodly and to not be blessed. So he starts off this. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the street seat of the scornful. So he begins with what the blessed man is not. And oftentimes we focus on this part of it. And this is kind of our, our key um we think, boy, if I'm going to be a blessed man, I've got to stay away from these things. And we do. There's no doubt about it. The psalmist speaks of this. And I've talked very many times in our church on the digression that is shown here. Uh, walking, standing, and sitting. Uh, how that uh, you start off kind of as a, um, a novice, kind of dabbling in sin. If you continue in that, sooner or later you're going to become active and start doing the sin. And if you continue in that, eventually you will be without conscience and you'll be a leader in sin. You'll be one that uh, is the instigator and the one that leads the crowd uh, in sinful things and you don't have a conscience about it. And I think that that's clearly seen here in Psalm 1 and the steps of uh, 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 walking, standing, and sitting and the idea of the sinner, the ungodly, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the ungodly, the sinner, and the scornful. And if we're not careful... Uh, we will focus primarily on that. That in order for us to be blessed, we have to avoid these things. And we do. But then we, we often don't put enough emphasis, not that we don't put any, but we don't put enough emphasis on the other part of this blessed man, which we find in verse number two. The Bible says this, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law doth he meditate day and night. Um, This is an interesting thought, uh, this idea of delighting. Uh, Somebody said it this way. Thomas Watson said it this way. He says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. And so he made this statement. He says, As the meditation is, such is the man. This idea of of meditating in the law of the Lord day and night, this delight that we have for the Lord. That it is something that during the day is seen outwardly, that men may see our good works and glorify our our Father which is in heaven. But it is also something that we don't just do so men can see us, but we do it also in the evening when people don't see us. And that we meditate and we take joy and delight in it, even even in the nighttime. (coughs) Excuse me even in the nighttime hours. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The law of the Lord is the daily bread of the true believer. It is." He says, Is your delight in the law of the Lord? Do you study God's Word? Do you make it? Notice this statement. The man of your right hand. Your best companion. Your hourly guide. If not, this blessing belongeth not to you. He's, he's asking if, if this book, The Law of the Lord, if it is the, the right hand of your, of your friend, this man of your right hand, meaning the, the idea of a best friend, uh, the thing that you love the most, the thing that you delight in the most. What is our view of the Bible? Can I tell you this? Uh, the one that meditates uh, in it day and night is one that loves it. He doesn't just meditate where men can see Him meditates in it even in the nighttime hours. Why? Because he loves it so much. And as the meditation is, Thomas Watson said, such is the man. As the meditation is, such is the man. Look with me in, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 15. The Bible says in verse 3 of Psalm 1, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. In Matthew chapter number 15, Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let's look in verse number 13. Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 13. Matthew pins these words speaking of a quote that the Lord Jesus said. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be what? Rooted up. So this blessed man is one that has trusted Christ as his Savior, is planted by the God the Father himself. He's held in the hand of the Holy, uh, of the of God the Son. He's held also in the hand of God the Father. And the Bible says, no man can pluck them out of my hand. And so we find in Psalm uh, 1, verse number 3, that he shall be like a tree. And notice it says this, planted. It's not just a wild tree. It's not something that's... Out here, that just happened, there is a purpose and a plan for it. Um, one of the fellows made this statement. Uh, he said, no, Well, no, let's read down the rest of the verse here. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I've read this verse many times before, and I've had people quote this to me before. And say, well, if I delight myself in the Lord, then everything I do in life is going to prosper. And somebody said it this way. He said, uh, this idea of whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Speaking of this this tree that's planted by the rivers of water that's bringing forth his fruit. He says, whatsoever uh, he doeth shall prosper is to be carefully understood. We're to take care not to judge prosperity by the standard of men, but rather by the standard of God. There's an awful lot that we consider to be prosperous and an awful lot that we consider not to be prosperous. And yet the truth of the matter is, our prosperity and understanding of it is not always what God's understanding of prosperity is. And by the way, even though it may seem like God is not prospering us, we need to give thanks for it because oftentimes it is God's hand prospering us. There's an illustration of this in Scripture. In fact, there's numbers of illustrations. We're going to look at one of them this morning. If you will, turn with me to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter number 42. Speaking of this this blessed man, this man who not only abstains from the ungodly, the sinners and the scornful, but his delight, focusing in on this idea, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In this law, that he meditate day and night, uh, the idea of loving this—that this book is the the man of our right hand. It's the blessedness of our day. It's what we look forward to. Uh, look with me in Genesis chapter number forty-two. A very familiar story that takes place here. This is the story of um, Joseph in Egypt. Uh, after his brothers had sold him into slavery, he had already risen to a point of authority in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And had done this because of God's hand upon him. Jacob, however, uh, if you'll remember, was forlorn. He thought Joseph was dead. His brothers had uh, lied about it. They took his cloak of many colors and they had uh, torn it and put blood upon it, and told uh, Jacob that a wild beast had gotten Joseph. And Jacob sorrowed over that for many many years. But in Psalm, or, and, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter forty-two, and uh, if you will look with me in verse number thirty-six. There was a famine in the land and Joseph had sent the other brothers to go and to get uh, some grain from Egypt, not realizing that it was Joseph that they were dealing with. In uh, verse number 36, the Bible says, And bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that ye are no spies, for that ye are true men. So will I deliver you, your brother, and ye shall uh, traffic in the land. And so Joseph... If you'll remember the story, uh, was keeping uh, the young brother in, uh, in captivity, wanted him to be brought to him uh, to show and to prove uh, that they were not spies. And so they were to go back to Jacob and bring the youngest brother with him. And verse number 35, And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me, have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not. And ye will take Benjamin away? Notice this phrase. All these things are what? Against me. Now let me ask you a question. In all of this, could we agree that God's intent was to be a blessing to Jacob? Absolutely. Not only did He save him from the famine, but He gave him this wonderful place in Egypt for many, many years and had a blessed life because of this. And yet, Jacob looks at it and says, all these things are against me. Could it be possible in our lives that there are times we look at things and say, Lord, this certainly does not seem to be You prospering me. This certainly does not seem to be something that's helping in my life. And because we don't see the end of the story, we miss out oftentimes on God's blessing. When we read this verse in Psalm 1 that whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, we need to be careful that we don't doubt this verse in times of what we would consider to be trial, maybe even persecution, maybe even things that are not going the way we thought them to be. Because it very well could be that God's full intent is to prosper us. It's interesting that oftentimes when we read this, we think of it in terms only of what men think prospering is. There are times that there will be difficulties in the Christian life. There's no doubt about it. In fact, in the New Testament, the Bible teaches, Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer Persecution And yet in the Psalms It says that this godly man This blessed man That delights in the law of the Lord And meditates in it day and night That whatsoever he doeth shall prosper We need to keep in mind That this prosperity is not a human prosperity But a prosperity that is done in the sight of God Something that God looks at And says this is for your best interest This is something to be a blessing To you and so, uh, notice also as we get down to verse number 4, we're in the, now the second half of this particular thing. By the way, uh, God's blessings in the man's life, uh, somebody wrote it this way, that, that the godly man is blessed by God in Christ with all blessings in all circumstances through time and eternity to the highest degree. What an amazing thought. You say, well, I can think of times in my life that it's been tough. I haven't had the things that I would like to have had financially. I've had uh, difficult times. I had to eat ramen noodles for a month. Or or, uh, things weren't going well at work. Or I lost my job. But can I tell you this? The Christian life is truly a blessed life. Look at the alternative of not being saved. What a truly blessed life we have. It is by God through Christ in all things with all blessings and all circumstances through time and eternity. And that's why the Apostle Paul could write, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As we get on down to verse number 4, he switches gears and he gives now the contrast. Not the blessed man anymore, not the godly man, but the ungodly. He says, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Now, chaff, of course, was something that Uh, had no value to it. It was worthless. Uh, Chaff is the the part of the grain that when you threshed it out uh, was the dead part. It was the part that was discarded. There was no value to it. It had no substance. And one of the most notable characteristics of chaff is it was easily carried away. In fact, that was part of the threshing process. They would take the sieves and they would grab the grain and they would toss it into the air in the threshing floor. And the wind would blow the chaff out and the grain would fall. They would do this to sort between the chaff and the wheat. And isn't it amazing that this illustration is used in Psalm 1? That this ungodly man is like the chaff, and he even goes so far as to say this, which the wind driveth away. They're easily carried away. Uh, We need to be careful. We need to be careful that we are not easily carried away by every wind of doctrine. There are those that do not have a desire to study the Word of God. They don't delight in it. They may be saved even. They may have trusted the Lord as their Savior. But they're not receiving the blessing of Psalm 1 because they don't delight in the Word of God. Now, they may live holy. They may say, you know, I don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Or I may not stand in the way of sinners. I may not sit in the seat of the scornful. But... We simply lack one thing, and that is the delighting in the law of the Lord. Meditating in it day and night. Why? Because if not, if we don't do these things, we can be just like the ungodly. Now, interesting to me is when you look at the three men in verse number one, you have the ungodly, the sinner, and the scorner. The ungodly is kind of the, if you will, if you, if you think of it in these terms, he was kind of the, the amateur, he was kind of the novice in sin, kind of just dabbling in it initially. If the psalmist refers to that man as being like the chaff which the wind driveth away, what do you think could be said of the other two? It's an interesting thought. We need to be careful that we live godly in Christ Jesus, that we have a delight in the law of the Lord. To meditate in it day and night. He says, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I want to make a couple of statements here very quickly on Psalm 1 and then we'll be done. First of all, when, when the time comes for God to judge, uh, the ungodly will be standing for judgment, not for acquittal. When we stand before God as those that are saved, those that are redeemed, we have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ put on our account. We do not stand in judgment. We stand redeemed. We stand forgiven. We stand acquitted of all charges. Not for anything that we have done, but for what Christ has done. The ungodly are not going to be able to do this. The Bible says this, "...that the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous." I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I wish that oftentimes we were more righteous than we are, but look with me in Psalm or Job 23 for a moment, just back a few pages. Job 23, Job spoke of this. In Job chapter 23, the Bible says in verse number 8, "...Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him." On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So he said, I may not always be able to see God. I can look before and not see him. I can look behind and not see him. I can look on the right and on the left and not see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And there may be times in your life where you may not be able to see God. But if you're a righteous man, if you're a godly man, if you're a blessed man, He sees you. And He knows the way that you take. And Job said it this way, When I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. It's interesting in verse 6 of Psalm 1 that the wording is used in such a way that the Bible says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. And then he makes an interesting statement about the ungodly. He says, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Can I tell you that there's an implication in verse number 6 that is there, and that's this, that God also knoweth the way of the ungodly. Lest somebody read this verse and think, well, I can sin and get by with it. You know, one of the greatest sins of Christians are sins of the mind. the reason for that is we don't think God sees it. We don't think anybody sees it. In fact, most of the sin that we commit willingly, which is every sin that we do, is done in such a way that we hope nobody sees it. And we give little thought to the fact that God sees all of it. We give little thought to the fact that the Holy Spirit of God, if we've trusted Him as our Savior, lives inside of us and knows our hearts. He knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. He's the one that searcheth and trieth the reins, the psalmist said, of the heart. He's the one that knows every thought that we have, every word that we say, every deed that we do. Unless we get the idea from verse number 6 that He only knoweth the way of the righteous, the truth is He also knows the way of the ungodly. And what he says of this is that the way of the ungodly shall what? Shall perish. Shall perish. The fruit of this lifestyle, the fruit of living ungodly, is a way that may seem right unto a man. At the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a perishing of this way. The psalmist speaks very clearly here of two distinct lives. He speaks of the blessed man, which is contrasted with the ungodly. And the blessed man is one that not only keeps himself from sin, but also delights in the law of the Lord. And I'm going to make this last statement, and this is one that I think we can end with for Psalm 1, and that is this. When you look at the blessed man, it speaks of two things, abstaining from sin and sinful people and delighting in the law of the Lord. And I will say that the one affects the other. Both directions, whichever way you look at it. If we begin to have acquaintances with the ungodly, stand in their counsel, walk, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the sea of the scorple, it will keep us from delighting in God's Word. On the other hand, if we learn to delight in God's Word, it will keep us from uh, walking in the way of uh, the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of the scornful. It's interesting that he uses these two contrasts of things not to do and things to do as something that cannot be divorced one from the other. They both must happen. You can't do one without doing the other. And it is very important that we learn to delight in the law of the Lord. And in this law, we need to learn to meditate in it day and night. There's an awful lot that Psalm 1 has to say, we've preached on this a lot and the lesson today has been a different direction than I've ever preached on it before to try to teach some things. But it is is the foundation, this stark contrast between the ungodly and the godly. The ungodly and the blessed man. Those that reject the Word of God and those that love and delight in the Word of God. The blessedness that comes from delighting in the Word of God And the absolute and the sure judgment of God on those that do not. Those that would live ungodly. Those that would live as sinners or scorers. And you'll find as we go through the Psalms throughout these next several weeks, however long it's going to be for us to get through it, that you'll find that that theme repeated over and over and over again in each of these Psalms. Uh, So I want to encourage you, uh, read a Psalm a day. If it's something that you can find time to do, and uh, it'll change your life. I had a professor in college tell me that one time, and I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. There are sometimes you read them, and it's talking about the psalmist calling down God's judgment on his enemies. Other times you read them, and it's talking about his undone condition and how he needs God to cleanse him. Other times it speaks of his love for the Scriptures for God's precepts, for God's judgments, for God's way, for God's word. And it will it will encourage you in the Christian life. It is the Christian's handbook. And will certainly be something that will delight your way each and every day. So I would encourage you, read one psalm a day. They're not long. It only takes a few moments to read them. But read them, meditate in them, think upon them. And uh, I think it will be a help to you. All right, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. And be ready to go here in about 10 or 12 minutes. Father, we are thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless as we study through the Psalms. And Lord, I understand and know that the Psalm 1 has been preached on many, many times. And even here in our church, uh, there have been...